This is the Take Your Meds podcast, your safe space to explore how you can brighten up your life from the inside out. We're diving deep into the different medicine millennials take to turn their light on. Season one gives some insights into how you can navigate your quarter life crisis and find the confidence to be your authentic self. On this episode, I sit down with the multi-dimensional Charles Aruha. Listen in to hear how embracing hardships and sharing your gifts turns into medicine. So, okay, this is the Take Your Meds podcast. <laughs> All right, yes. So, um... You know, the whole concept really with Take Your Meds is about exploring the medicines that millennials take or have taken Mm. that have empowered them to kind of be themselves Mm. and unapologetically follow their dreams. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, so excited to sit down and talk with you today because I think you are someone that when our worlds collided, I remember seeing you at some events and you would always be having your blue blockers on. And I was like, that is a guy that has radical self-belief that is willing to go against the norm and kind of be like, the way that feels good and right for me in this space is to wear my blue blockers, even if no one else is, you know? And I was, <laughs> I always was like, who's that guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, those really orange ones, hey? Yeah. I used to wear them all the time. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, the guy's got radical self-belief. So, um, <laughs> and then, of course, our worlds collided again over New Year's at OM Festival, which yeah. was really beautiful. And yeah. I think I got to learn a little bit more about who you are and and your spirit. And I was so intrigued by not only your journey in setting up Serenity, the float clinic, but also your journey through Christianity and then finding yourself and being yourself. So thank you for being on the podcast. Um, I'd love to give you a space to introduce yourself and it would be great if you could do that, including your pronouns. So over to you. So, um, you know, as far as pronouns, I'm actually, because I've got a really interesting name, Shal. So when I'm um, digitally, um, when I'm introducing myself to people, they're not sure whether I'm a guy or a girl mm-hmm. or, you know, or, uh, um, uh, or anything else, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and so it, I'm, I'm really easy with anybody calling me things that they want to call me, mm. creating their own little identity or idea or thing of me. Mm. And so, um, but yeah, I am Shal. Um, probably, he, like, yeah. He, him. He, him. Yeah. yeah. Um, although I like the idea of they too, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, I have three beautiful little kids, mm-hmm. not that little. Um, so I've got a 12 year old girl, a 10 year old girl, and a nine year old boy all born in Canada. Mm. Um, my wife's from Canada. And so, ah. um, yeah, so Jody and I lived in Canada for about 10 years. Oh, wow. And um, we've been, yeah, she's the love of my life. So <laughs> fell in love. 1999 is when we met. We got engaged right as Y2K bug was supposed to Oh, hit. my gosh. It yeah. was the world's biggest <laughs> letdown. You know, yeah. we were hoping. So we got engaged right at the countdown. Um, and then got married in 2000, and so we've been married for yeah, 
21 years holy shit 21 years. yeah wow yeah that's and beautiful so many seasons together and so yeah i'm born in south africa so i've got a little bit of a south african accent came to new zealand when i was 15 so i've been in new zealand for a really long time um so i carry a bit of mother africa in my heart and um and then i also man i really became um unprogrammed and reprogrammed in new zealand in the most beautiful way mm. um, yeah because i found my i was brought up in, under the apartheid you know structure of understanding how this world works and it was a really crazy wow. experience yeah wow there's a bit i kind of want to go into there oh yeah <laughs> so, so it's a big topic and yeah. i'm happy to chat about any of that yeah what what was your experience growing up in that space and time um I mean, as a kid, you love life, right? And so I really enjoyed it. But there were things that just didn't fully make sense to me. My parents were a little bit um, on the not your normal Afrikaans, South Africans. And we we um, used to have like these sneaking, sneaky dinner friendship parties with, um, with some of our Zulu friends. And so, um, you know, like at nighttime, it was kind of had to, because, you know, there's segregation. And so when people showed up at our house, there's, you know, people in the neighborhood would ask questions. And so it was a really interesting space to grow up, um, kind of countercultural mm. to um, what was going on. Um, didn't have a person of color in, our, in my high school, in, in any schooling experience until I was in high school um, in 1994. Wow. And that was the, the, the first um, kind of a thing. And so... Also, didn't really like the culture. You know, there was a very strong Christian thing mm -hmm. around this. The I don't know whether it was part of the foundations of you know what of what was unfolding in front of me, but um, I just also then was like, well, if this is how God treats the children of God, and that some children are more privileged than others, then you know it's not really the construct or god that i think i want to necessarily be engaged with mm, yeah. so true yeah and how do you think those experiences shaped you you talk about counterculture i think about how you show up in the world now it's very kind of counterculture in a way you know um how would you say that your experiences growing up in south africa and being part of a christian community have shaped you to be who you are today um, even though I never grew up thinking that I was a racist, right? For me, a racist was somebody who was out like beating up um, anyone who's not from the same race or um, like creating just a, a hierarchical thing between humans. It was still programmed into me for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and it wasn't until I came to New Zealand that I really was confronted with my programming. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, I mean, I was also 15, you know. Um, and so, yeah, my, my teenage years were, were confronting of just really trying to find myself, mm -hmm. um, trying to find sort of truth. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, because I realized that largely I had been lied to and so... I, it made it easy for me to walk away from religion mm -hmm. or from Christianity. Um, 
Um, but I was ultimately, I think I was just lost trying to find myself, trying to reprogram, trying to mm. figure out how to be human. And mm, yeah. How to be human, yeah. Yeah. How did, I know there'll be people listening that's like, what does unprogramming, reprogramming mean? Mm. What does that mean for you in that point in your life? And what does that mean now? Yeah. Um, Certainly the unprogramming that came along was me. This was both a blessing and a curse. Um, my, the hardest times of my life were my teenage years. Um, it was really traumatic um, for like when I was 15, 16. Um, the unprogramming took place in kind of just really seeing just how yeah probably not just how the racism within me uh, manifested itself um but also that it's uh, it's here too mm -hmm. you know like as a kid you would run into um you know there were also people who were not very um you know gracious towards maori mm. and so um and so um, just recognizing that that exists too, that it wasn't just necessarily a South African, it's like a human condition. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like I've gone on a little bit of, bit of a tangent on your question. What does that no, mean? Perfect. What did that mean for me? Yeah. Then the unprogramming, um, just observation. Yeah. I think just really seeing things um, without too much identity or emotional attachment to it. That's such a powerful insight. What does it mean to observe without identity and attachment? What does that mean? Mm. I feel like so many people are running around interacting with programs or mm. beliefs or thoughts or feelings that run through them mm. and really making themselves them based on that that's flowing through. What does it mean to take a step back and observe and then kind of have no attachment to what it means for who you are. Mm. Oh, go there. Please go it's, there. <laughs> it's, it's scary because, you know, in some ways it leaves you without some kind of an anchor. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely see in my life where that ended up being an overwhelming process. Yeah. Such a good process. Oh, now yeah. in retrospect, like it was the, great, the greatest chaos I ever found myself in was mm. isolation and abandonment. Mm, you know, wow, yeah. not being able to make friends because I was the Afrikaans kid at school and mm. fifth form, we were just learning about apartheid and everything. And so it, in, in some ways, the trauma of being lonely, being a loner, walking around at school and kids saying, loner, and just trying to find a group oh and God. like going to sit down with a group and like, what are you doing here? And, you know, all, it was like, it was torturous. And there was also, you know, like... Um, yeah, I was pretty, depression has been something that runs in my family as well. And so, mm. um, yet also th that now as a, you know, much older, looking back and the incredible treasures that the resiliency of that, you know, chaos ended up creating this beautiful self-love of just loving to be mm. with me. I'm going to be okay. Mm. It's okay to not know who or what. I am or what this is and um, 
but to just become into the space. Yeah. Oh my God, your courage. Oh. It's, well, now, obviously, because I survived, right? Mm. Um, but back then, for sure, it was so traumatic. Oh, yeah, yeah it was really tough. How did you stay grounded in that? What was your anchor in a world that was kind of throwing you around? Um, curiosity about the future, I suppose. Wow, yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, the, the, the hope of the future maybe one day meeting a girlfriend or one mm. day having friends or and thankfully that whole process only lasted two years mm. while I was living in Nelson and then um, moved to Dunedin and this random weird thing happened I was only in this, my brothers and I were had just moved to Dunedin we were only in school for like a couple of days and um, because we were both rugby players uh, Actually, yeah, so Andrew Hall, who used to play for the All Blacks, was um, in our school. And so we, you know, were on, um, on the rugby team with him. Somehow we befriended each other back, way back then. We were like school kids, you know. Um, and we got invited to this high school formal or, you know, like end of year formal. And um, the, 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 goodbye their friends. Um, we ended up, my, my, both my brother and I said, no, we're not, we're not going to go to the formal with these two, two apparently popular girls from another girls' school. Yeah. And then all their enemies became our friends. <laughs> and so it was like, who are these guys who turned down blah, 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 and, you know? And so it was this weird sort of dynamic, the new South African boys in town. And, oh you know, my so gosh. Um, we went from not having any or hardly any friends in Nelson to like um, a different situation in, in Dunedin. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's funny how things work. You yeah. Know? yeah. What a journey. And to really like have so much love in your heart now for people knowing that was your lived experience in high school. That's like so, so beautiful to transcend mm. alchemize mm. and really now show up in a way through your business and, and who you are as a human being that really invites so much love into the dynamic. And actually, I think what I've really noticed with you as well is your ability to really see, hear and understand what's going on in a relationship, like what's what I've observed anyways within you in the very short window we've had. Um, and now understanding how challenging it would have been in high school to not be seen, heard and understood. I wonder if you're mindful or even conscious of that connection to now even realize how you show up in the world mm. is alchemizing the pain that had happened back there mm. and how much joy that now brings you. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I think... Chaos has been the gift, mm. ultimately. When I think about the tough situations, it's, yeah, for sure. Mm. It's been worth it. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like that's really going to resonate with a lot of people listening and to know that there's hope from that pain and suffering. What would you say is like maybe some of the reflections that people could take to really witness and understand how they could turn really shitty situations into ones that have meaning that support them in a way to be whole and to be loving mm. knowing what i know now i suppose and still just 
getting to know how to deal with trauma and difficult sorts of situations. Um, it, um, difficult times in our lives are inevitable. Mm. And um, that's okay. Mm. Um, when they present themselves, um, retrospectively, knowing now what it's done for me, it's been one of the greatest catalysts of reprogramming me. Mm. You know, because you end up in, in difficult chaos situations when the um, crap hits the fan. Am I allowed to swear in these things? Oh, like, yeah. yeah. We, we, we go all places. <laughs> when the shit hits the fan, you know, um, you're able to get up and then, you know, just visually look at all the things that have hit the wall mm. from that whole process. Mm -hmm. And look at the small little pieces that has made up the complexity of the explosion mm -hmm. to, um, to not be overwhelmed with the complexity of the difficulty or the, 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 the chaos, the trauma, you know, but to be able to see the things for what it is. And it's completely okay mm. that that has happened. It makes complete sense mm. that these things have happened and completely okay that we react in a certain way to difficult situations mm -hmm. and so then like observing it with kindness outside of yourself in a way mm -hmm. and then like okay what would I like to do knowing what I know now yeah. that right there is a golden nugget <laughs> wow and that's been a, a really powerful practice for you I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like with a range of different difficult situations that I've faced in my life and mm. in the midst of the storm and the crying and the, you know, and the struggle and the things not turning out the way that you wanted it to, mm. to know that I've survived so many other things. Mm. And this too is one day going to become part of the most beautiful story mm. where I no longer talk about these past experiences with like uh, stress and anxiety and anger and bitterness and, mm. you know, but just a beautiful gratefulness mm. that I survived, I came through and that this scar ends up becoming my beloved. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it costs everything <laughs> yeah when you're in the thick of that it's not really a, oh. no you don't you don't want it eh? make it sound so beautiful oh, after no. years of like <laughs> all kinds of medicinal you know like trying to fix things and deal with things and cope and yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful place to get to to really realize that it all has purpose and meaning and sometimes it's actually just a journey of sitting with it and noticing it, processing it, feeling it mm. and then at, at a point it does kind of all make sense mm. and that it's all perfect, you know, mm. but I think that's such a powerful message and one that I think a lot of millennials, a lot of young people navigating their quarter-life crisis feel so confused with. Mm. So I think that's a really powerful insight to be able to sit sit down and look at what's gone on 
and ask yourself, knowing what I know now, what am I going to do different? That's mm. so profound and so cool. And I, I can't help but think to a therapy session I had with my psychologist where I realized a really unhelpful pattern that I had was when a situation happened that wasn't the bee's knees, let's go there. It wasn't necessarily that the pain for me came from the situation at mm. times. It was from my judgment of the situation. Your reaction to that situation. And the perception of what it was. So yeah. it was like really taught me the importance of going, hang on, am I, am I sitting with what's actually happened? Or am I sitting with my judgment and perception of what mm, happened yeah. and noticing that they're two very different things yeah. and that I can actually self-inflict so much pain and suffering through yeah. the judgment of what happened. And yeah. so by learning to just zoom out a little bit, mm. not be so hard on myself mm. for what's happened, totally. but go knowing what I know now, yeah. how might I show up in a different way? How might I, I discover the gifts or the lessons from this situation mm. and write a story that puts me in a, in a place of empowerment to be able to move forward, but with mm. so much compassion and forgiveness, not only for myself, but then for really who else I need to show up for and, and forgive and mm. seek forgiveness too at times. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I love my psychologist for that. That was like life changing. Um, yeah, so what you're saying is that it's not the event itself, right? It is the what we perceive, the story we create, the, mm -hmm. um, the, the, what we attach mm -hmm. to this mm -hmm. that ends up creating way more havoc mm -hmm. for us in the long run. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, that's the, un, this, the dismantling of the work, the integration, the, mm -hmm. which can take a really long time, mm -hmm. you know. So my, <laughs> my Nelson experience, it, and it really, it was at, actually at Earthbeat this year. Um, I finally got to the place where I was truly, deeply grateful for the first time, not blaming the situation or the, you know, the event. The, of course, it makes sense that, you know, the kids are in school. Um, you're learning about apartheid and then a white Afrikaans boy comes and joins your class mm. and, um, and you have a visual representation of something that you really dislike and, you know, mm. you're now going to, that makes sense, wow. right? Yeah, It's like seeing somebody walking down the street today wearing a full-on Trump hat. Mm. Right. And the, the, the societal isolation that that person here in New Zealand could potentially find themselves in, mm. you know, it probably wouldn't the best, be the best idea for that person to be walking down the street wearing mm. a Trump hat to try to point, prove a point or whatever. Mm. Um, but it totally makes sense that they will find themselves in isolation mm. or then surrounded with, with other people who could potentially be, mm -hmm. you know, um, an echo chamber of an echo mm. chamber of yeah <laughs> anyway and that's brought you a lot of peace to be able to see it in a new perspective absolutely yeah, yeah. to yeah. just finally be at peace with mm. my what i went through at, at yeah. school and wow finally grateful for the people that i you know whereas before i was like very 
angry at them and very oh how could you did you know what you were doing to me mm. to be like oh thank you mm. thank you yeah because wow. that was actually ultimately my medicine mm. yeah oh my gosh can I we did do not, that yeah i didn't realize it but the chaos becomes the medicine mm. when you finally realize what it did <sighs> okay that is just like <laughs> the door (laughs) (laughs) what a profound insight okay what do you mean by medicine Mm. and can you explain a little bit about how you've made sense of your trauma in terms of it being medicinal Mm. so when i say medicine i think catalyst Mm -hmm. you know something that brings about uh, an external and internal change something from the outside in Mm -hmm. something from the inside out um uh so events chem obviously there's chemicals there's all kinds of things that we do in our lives to um to find ourselves in a different state than we were in Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and when i say state i don't mean like just a mental state but just a different reality of where we found ourselves Mm -hmm. and so yeah, that's what I mean by medicine. Beautiful. Yeah, so it's very broad, you know, and not just thinking of going to the GP and getting some Zopiclone so you can sleep, but, you mm. know, like a range of other things. Mm-hmm. What was the second part of your question again? Ah, oh, the second. I was like so deep. I'm like, <laughs> um, the second part was what has been medicinal about your trauma? Mm. You know, you say that that through that pain and through that experience, you've been able to find your medicine. Mm. What does that mean for you and your experience? How have you made sense of that and use that medicine to really mm. heal? Like in, I feel that in some ways I was sort of l- lucky slash blessed in that I've, I've experienced really deep, difficult situations in my life young. Um, my father committed suicide when I was, um, yeah, when I was 14. Whoa. Um, super un- unexpected. Um, he was my best mate. We were best, like, you know, I looked like him and, and we were really close. So the trauma of that, um, what happened to me and Nelson, um, uh, a range of other things, getting expelled from school. I was kind of like a, we were a little bit of a naughty kid. Um, so I've had a very a full teenage year life um probably my first needing to overcome the dig deep trauma was would have been my you know I, I was, my parents getting divorced there was another one um retro retrospect right appreciating what ended up happening um after the chaos, um, then opened my eyes that it's not, it's not absolutely 100% all bad, but there, there are actually in- incredible things that end up happening. Like I wouldn't have moved to New Zealand if my father was still alive, right? Because mm-hmm. like custody and all those kinds of things would have been, um, there's all kinds of truly beautiful things that ended up coming out of it that ended up changing me ended up you know I don't know what I don't yet know 
and there's nothing like chaos to get me to a better <laughs> understanding of knowing things that I didn't know before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in, in some ways, that's like a, a catalyst or a medicine. Yes. Not that we go searching this medicine out. Yes. Like avoid it, you know. Oh, yeah. But but also realize that we, we, we're going to find ourselves in difficult situations. Wow. Every one of us are going to face the ultimate trauma, I guess, mm. you know, yeah. Jeez. can really see, you know, that there could have been multiple different realities that would have could, or could have played out. Mm. And just how you've been able to really be divinely guided in a way mm. to bring you here, mm. I think is also testament to your ability to tune in and, and um, yeah have a connection to something beyond. Um, I'm curious about what hasn't been helpful in your journey. What medicines have you picked up and tried on that have caused more chaos or created more uncertainty for you when at the time you thought it may have been helpful? Mm. Um, For sure. Like I started smoking when I was 11 and... You know, which, I mean, I have a 12-year-old, right? Like a 12-year-old daughter. So I was younger than she was when I started smoking. And you can't imagine it when you look at them, eh? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it's like smoking. And, you know, people who have smoked, it's a beautiful comfort. Oh, yeah. You know, just sitting down and Mm -hmm. being with you, being with your brokenness or being with your glory and just... Having a cigarette and like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's probably been a not very helpful medicine mm-hmm. over my life. I'm glad that I've given it up. Yeah. I do find myself from time to time still having a smoke, but mm-hmm. there's probably nothing really ultimately good there mm-hmm. waiting mm-hmm. for me to, you know, because it's, I did, I did some research into whether um, even just one cigarette is okay and it's just so risky Mm. so um when i really look at why i enjoy smoking there's a shadow part of me of setting myself up for self-destruction you know and being okay with with me self-sabotaging you know Mm. yeah oh to have that awareness is so huge you know like what I know there's going to be so many people listening being like, how could you, what does it mean to choose self-sabotage and be aware of that? What does self-sabotage oh mean gosh. to you? I'm, I'm probably not even aware of most of my self-sabotages yet, you know, like I need a few more floats for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we are our own worst deceivers. Oh, honestly, <laughs> it's wild. It's crazy how, how much our subconscious and our, what, what we think is actually taking place compared to what's what mm-hmm. what that little ego is longing for, you know, which is okay, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Like it's part of our story, it's part of our programming, and we we find ourselves in this world, um, having received programming from our parents, from our society, from you know all of the so many different influences in our lives. So it's of course it makes sense that it exists. There. Mm. Mm. And so, little by little, I feel that. Um, 
our future aspirational selves will reveal these things to us at the right time. Mm -hmm. If we're willing oh, yeah. to listen or tune in. You, and you can, the thing is, you can't speed up the work. You can't speed up the healing. <laughs> yeah, these, like, I think you can is, sometimes. Yeah. No. <laughs> sometimes you can, right? Not for the most part. No, I think, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All in perfect timing. One of my it big self-sabotaging um, pieces is, is right on the cusp of greatness. When, when I happen to be right on the cusp of like things transforming to be really so much better, different, greater than what I had believed was possible for myself. Yeah, yeah. I flip back into destructive habits where it's like victim consciousness consciousness arrives yeah, and it's yeah. like, who am I? Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> oh, this person's being like this to me or I'm not seen, you know, and it's like, sweetie, as soon as I notice it coming up now, I'm like, right, okay, we're just going to go and sit down with a mirror mm -hmm. and I'm going to look myself in the eyes mm. and give myself everything I need to hear, see mm. and feel right now to be witnessed. Mm. I don't need anyone outside of me to do that because that sits within. Yeah. And I have this conversation with myself in the mirror to kind of work through this. And then I'm like, right, you know, because I really believe it's it's like the potential of what we can be that really scares us, not mm. not the other. Right. You know, like it's it's really about like, oh, my gosh, what if I did bring my dreams to life? That's too mm. scary because mm. it's like, well, the abundance that would exist is like too much yeah. because of all the other conditioning right yeah so yeah one of my big learning spaces at the moment is kind of like even a lot of work with um, my own relationship with money mm. like being a, vehicle, a big one, ve eh? vehicle to actually allow all that god universe spirit light has for me to receive mm because I love to give as well. And so it's mm. actually reciprocal. There is a, a receiving to giving that has to take place in order for the abundance to really land. Yeah. And when I did all this like work, inner work with money and my relationship with money and growing up with a lot of poverty and um, poverty behaviors, I would say, yeah, and yeah. a lot of lacking, even just at the supermarket, you know, getting to the checkout and remembering it always being a stressful experience. I could always feel the stress of having to pay for groceries or my mama pay for groceries. And so it was like just starting to kind of witness the relationship that I had with money and that that was all just a program. And yeah. that when I could observe it, I could also release it and invite in a new one and start doing the work around that really being present. Yeah. And now I'm just noticing like, how much more abundance there is, but it's also in relationship with my giving and it's also in relationship with me stepping into that potential and not self-sabotaging at that mm, cusp. <laughs> yeah. Does that bring up anything uh, for you? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's such a destructive mindset poverty, mm. you know, because it's, it's like a, it's like a form of almost illness, mm -hmm. you know, or like a, um, self-fulfilling just thing that keeps you keeps you there and it'll mm -hmm. keep you there until you actually begin to live into that abundance or growth mindset mm. um, 
yeah. What has that um, meant for you? Like the money thing? Well, the transition, like has there been a point in time where you noticed a lot of scarcity and a lot of um, poverty mindset? And was there a transition point into abundance and growth or what's your journey been in that space? Yeah, um, I'm still growing in that space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, uh, thankfully, I was like my when my mom and dad got divorced, my mom married. uh, So my stepdad's a dentist. And so I've, I've grown up with beautiful privilege. My dad's a hard worker though. Like when we came to New Zealand, um, uh, it's a long story, but they lost almost everything because of like some immigration scam thing that was going on. Oh my and God. Like yeah. It was, yeah, it was terrible. Um, had to, my dad was driving trucks. He wasn't allowed to work in New Zealand as a dentist. Oh Whereas, my God. Like South Africans who work in de- as dentists now, but back then they weren't, um, like there was a, it's a, it's all political. Healthcare was so political, right? And so, um, so my dad had to go through, put himself through medics, you know, medical school again, studied to be a dentist. And so wealthy in South Africa, moved here, lost everything, poor, and then seeing how beautifully my, my, you know, my mom and dad rebuild up, wow. built up. So, but really hard work. Yeah. Um, so that's always taught me the value that, you know, I can actually do it, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm not as wealthy as, you know, as, as my mom and dad have been. And mm. um, so there are definitely some, um, some big questions there, some good stressors there for me to mm. be reminded of my early programming, which, I mean, I was brought up in a poor neighborhood in South mm-hmm. Africa. And so a lot of our programming happens up until age seven, you know, that's where, yeah. Yeah. It just, this whole, like these whole, these concepts, I guess what we're talking about a lot here is like programs, you know, Mm. which is, I guess, like belief systems or the way that we believe the world is. Yeah. And it's, and I honestly have to say it's, you know, I'm saying like, oh, it's so amazing now to be able to receive as well as give. And it's so amazing to know that there is always enough, you know, mm. but I'm also mindful of the shock that took place when the question was posed that might this be a belief system that you've picked up, tried on and kept on mm. inferring that you can change your belief mm. around so many different things in the world. And that then totally transforms your experience within the world with these different things and how much more joy, grace and ease can and fun and play can exist the more that you reprogram yourself. But just the shocking nature, like I remember being like there were seven people living in our house. We were eating like really shitty food that was not nourishing at all and just believing that like there isn't enough and there will never be enough. Mm. And then the even the thought of like there could be enough was so far from the reality. It was like, yeah. how, how the hell am I meant to pick that up and try that on? How the hell could that even be possible? You know, like yeah. this is my reality. So I think for people listening, this is just an invitation to observe even just for a moment in your day, Like, what are some of the beliefs that you have running? What are some of the programs you have running through your mind? Mm. 
that are essentially the bridge to how you're interacting with the world. And if you can just create a bit of space and observe, I believe this in this moment and even entertain the idea that the opposite might be true or something else might be true. Mm. I think that's such a powerful practice and something that I'm really learning from this conversation with you around transforming, Mm. evolving and growing Mm. to be able to, um, yeah, be more of your authentic self. Does that bring up anything for you? Yeah, like I'm, yeah, totally. It's knowing how to even begin the process of seeing the programming, you know, to see the little markers of the belief systems, to know that, you know, that little sentence keeps on presenting itself. Mm. The little, the little story, the little, oh my gosh, we're so, I'm so stressed about money this week right Mm. like you're creating stress around money this week and you're setting yourself up for stress around money just Mm. by saying that Mm. um or i don't know how we're gonna afford blah 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 Mm -hmm. or oh i get so frustrated with this and this person Mm. right um all the little unresourceful because i like I i think ultimately with our emotions for such a long time, I used to believe in, you know, we had good emotions and bad emotions. Mm. And so anger and, you know, depression, sadness, all these like, you know, sad, um, guilt. And those were the bad emotions, right? Mm. Fear, right? And I just think that's, that has not been a helpful framework for me or programming for me. Um, but to rather think about our emotions as kind of like states, mm. you know. In which we find ourselves in and there's ultimately only two questions for me is this state that i'm in right now resourceful Ooh. or is it unresourceful <gasps> right and if it's unresourceful it's okay it's okay that i'm in an unresourceful state right now mm. what can i do right now to learn from this Mm. what can i do to observe right here in the unresourceful because it's in those unresourceful stressful kinds of states that we're able to pick up the language of programming Mm. we're able to see the oh i can't believe that blah 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 did this again Mm. right right why is this always happening to me Mm. right and what are the attachments that we have there and then to okay what can we do to change our focus you know Mm. there's all kinds of different hacks that we can do to move ourselves into a resourceful state because mm. unresourceful state makes terrible decisions. Oh God, oh God. make so many bad decisions <laughs> yeah. from that place. Yes. <laughs> and we think we're actually doing a good thing. Yeah, you know? all yeah. I'm going to show them, you know. <laughs> it's, it's very rare in my life that I actually do need to run away from a tiger, you know, where that uh, amygdala is yeah. just full on firing. No, my amygdala is high because I didn't get enough likes on a particular comment that I thought was bloody amazing. Or somebody interpreted it the wrong way and now I look like an idiot. You know, like it's all just ego work and and we treat that as if it's the tiger chasing us. Oh God, that is so true. Oh my God, it's the tiger chasing us. There's one too many moments that I, yeah. Ah, you know what I'd love to know? What is your top three favorite things to do to shift your state? Um, floating. Floating. Oh, you mean, okay. Right in the moment? In the moment, yeah. Okay. Um, breathe. 
really just um, so there's three ways that you can ultimately change your state. I think um, the first is your your focus. You know, a brain processes two million bits of information. Of that two million bits, there's it only holds like consciously and subconsciously like 160 something. Um, Anyway, there's a guy that did, um, uh, I can't remember his name, but did um, uh, research on this. And, um, and then the, the conscious mind can only hold about seven. And of that seven, you're focusing only ever on one. You can't focus on more than one thing. So, Shit. So change your focus. Mm. There's some little hacks you can do to change your focus. And that's literally to look around, right? Breathe. Look around. Nice, slow exhale. You can do a little bit of a body hack and like, <sighs> right? Mm. Your brain's going to associate every time that you've had like a <sighs> breath. Because it's not every day that we <sighs> like that. Mm. And all the memory associations around that <sighs> sense of accomplishment. <sighs> I'm happy. I'm relaxed, right? Mm. Your chemical composition would change by looking around. You know, when you're in fight or flight mode, you're you're literally like you've got the blinders on. You only want to find the escape, the fastest escape route. Mm. And by looking up and around, and you're breaking your brain out of that mode. And then um, another one that I love to say is like just a kind observation. It it completely makes sense that I am feeling like this mm. right now and it's okay I'm, I'm okay it's okay mm. me to be here mm. I love I love you mm. you're not doing anything wrong right now mm. that's hug so myself beautiful. hold myself I'm like the little child that's crying yeah in a beautiful way mm. and it's okay it's ah, all right that is so beautiful to see yourself in those moments and love yourself like mm. that. Because I think so often we want it, when we feel bad for being in that space mm. or want it to quickly pass. or So we suppress or reject or, mm. you know, push it away. But to really witness it and love it and see it and feel it. Oh my, and accept it. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. What about you? What are some of your state change strategies? Oh, okay. Um, dancing. Yeah. Okay, I've got oh. my wireless headphones in. I go yeah. to a song and I just move. And it's usually really heavy drum and bass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some of your favorite drum and bass artists? Hey? What are some of your favorite drum and bass oh. or songs? or? Oh, my, oh my God. I um, love drum and bass too. Honestly, just... Oh God! Like favorite? little grimy kind of disgusting. Like yeah. that's the best word. Yeah. I have like really this dark playlist. drum and bass. Very or... dark. Yeah. But then I also really love like Netsky. For me, has been one of the most beautiful artists that has supported so many healing moments in my mm, life. Netsky. Yeah, Netsky. Yeah, love love Netsky. He's been touring New Zealand, which has been amazing. Um, but usually when, yeah, I think it depends on what I'm feeling. If it's a really kind of heavy and overwhelming space, sometimes I'll just put on something really filthy and just like move. Um, but if it's kind of like wanting to set myself up for a particular state, I will put on Netsky because it feels so, he feels so like energetic 
energetically uplifting. Oh, you know, yeah. I love that. Nice. Um, and then um, the other one would be going and looking at the clouds. So taking my shoes off, being in the grass and then looking up and just like, it's hard to really be in victim space when you witness awe and wonder you know mm. so yeah I like I like being in and with nature yeah and then one more would probably be journaling mm. just kind of like um giving my sp myself a space to really just move through writing and then create a bit of space between to be able to witness and love and see um but yeah sometimes for me a lot of my kind of um, states that aren't resourceful come from me not see, seeing, hearing, and understanding me and mm. giving that power away to somebody else to do. Right, yeah. So the journaling practice is really powerful for me because it's like, Jim, we got this. Mm -hmm. We got this. You do know? you filter your journaling or do you just let it out? Yeah, this has been a really beautiful practice. It now feels like it's kind of like, I put pen to paper and it just kind of goes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as it goes, it may be poetry or it may be just like I'm feeling like, um, and then that just flows through. Or sometimes I am scripting my future self. Mm. Um, but I remember when I first started journaling, oh my God, the amount of pens I bought, new journals I bought. So I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I haven't got the pen right. I haven't got the book right. No, no, I need a purple cover because oh I, I need the purple vibe. But no, I need it to be vegan leather. It's when it's <laughs> vegan leather that I can really, you know, fucking hell, Gemma. And so then yeah. I was like, no, just open it and write, you know. And so it would be one word or one sentence. And then after a while, moving through all the resistance, it wasn't the fucking pen or the yeah. journal. It was me. Yeah. And now I just have this beautiful relationship, I think probably at least two to three times a week that I'll sit oh, and awesome. write. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they've, they've been that for me. And it's actually been through that practice that I've been able to notice what is authentically me. Mm. And so as I started to express myself, I realized that I actually wanted to express myself in a bigger way and share messages. And so that kind of led me to wanting to do this podcast, mm, launching an wow. Instagram for expression. Yeah. Um, and then really piecing that together with inquiry questions that support people and empower people to build a bit of a observation or reflective practice within mm. and start to witness themselves yeah. and those unhelpful patterns. So yeah, it's funny through finding what shifts state I found who I am, which has led me to greater purpose and meaning. Yeah. Interesting. You should say that who I am, but um, the floating thing, uh, obviously I love floating. You know, mm. it's um, it's it's a good little practice. I often come here outside of when the business isn't happening to come and get my floats in. And um, there's a really cool piece of research that's just been released on the parts of your brain that um, that disengages. You know, so as your ex extraceptive awareness and everything, your proprioceptive awareness just really dulls down. Um, but they had an fMRI scan on people's brains. Um, right after their floats and they found that the parts of your brain where your sense of self 
is comes from and is programmed and is constructed has goes into a deep state of rest during the float itself ah. and so it gives you almost then as you come back out of that again part of the because you enter into this half awake half asleep state you might end up having like a journey or like visual things that end up happening uh, might just be deeply relaxing but as you come back to then reprocess um, because I've just disconnected from my sense of self mm. right what because we're always becoming right our sense of self our true authentic self is always becoming more and more revealed mm. as we um, grow closer towards that true future aspirational version of ourselves and um, to then just more easily extract the precious from the worthless. So this is where I, th I think there's some really exciting um, therapeutic things with this heightened interoceptive awareness, mm. the lowering of your sense of self and all of the constructs and stories around that, mm. and then the reintegration afterwards of extracting the precious from the worthless, yeah. That's so powerful. So you'd say floating has been medicinal for you as oh, well. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There have been, I've had some life-changing floats that have just yeah it's it's ultimately time spent just observing mm, powerful. my sense of reality with everything else moved away it's like mm. pure consciousness holy shit if you're in hamilton <laughs> you gotta come down to the float clinic where are we are we on gray street on gray street yeah, yeah gray street gardens. in hamilton east i just I'm definitely reflecting back to when I've I've come in and noticing the first time so much resistance wanted to like make it be done and like so monkey mind and yeah yeah blah, 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 blah. and um, yeah I think coming in pregnant was really helpful for a lot of the pain I was experiencing um, and I'm ready I'm like yeah so ready to go there again I think too with all this other stuff that's been happening you know, in my own development journey. But if you're listening and you're feeling like floating is something you want to pick up and try on, definitely come down to the float clinic in Hamist or even Google the one closest to you. Because it's kind of a bit of a movement, isn't it? Yeah, there's definitely quite, a popping few, up. quite a few floats. I was actually, um, Deborah Murtaugh, who's this um, keto expert. Oh, yeah. Um, she's from Hamilton originally, but I think she's living in the US right now. Yeah. Apparently she brought floating to New Zealand like oh. years ago. Whoa, and shout so, out. Um, yeah, and so there's, <laughs> but floating has just been growing mm. over the last few years. And so, yeah. Beautiful. Okay, I've got, I think I want to just do one more question, which is what advice would you give to millennials navigating their quarter life crisis? Mm. Um, okay, so advice mm. in love towards yourself, love and kindness towards yourself. Observe your fear and aversions, right? Like the things we fear mm -hmm. and the things we have aversions towards to a certain extent, right? Are the lowest hanging fruit for building resilience. Because as we're able to really observe our fear, go to it, look at what it's made up of. Where has it come from? Mm. When did I first start feeling a fear about this particular thing? What is it actually really ultimately that I am fearing? Mm. Your irrational fears are the 
lowest hanging fruit for working on inversions because you're, in your brain it's already not making sense. Mm. But it really teaches you more about yourself and to be okay with the fact that you have a fear and aversion in a particular area mm. and then to be really truly honest with your, yourself as to whether this is an unresourceful kind of belief system mm. or whether it's resourceful, where it's actually protecting me or whether I just think it's protecting me. Mm. And, um, but it's ultimately holding me back from experiencing a greater sense of my authentic self. Mm. Um, and just, you are the one, right? You are the one. I am the one. I am like we are all ultimately the vehicle through which consciousness expresses and goes through a feedback loop of experiencing itself mm. in the most infinitely unique way that there's no other signature blueprint like me mm. for consciousness to find its, itself in a beautiful home. And then likewise for you, mm. likewise for everyone else. Mm. And so for us to truly know God, we really need to get to know ourselves and one another. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful and profound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so wise. Oh, honestly, that is, I really hope that that, um, that lands for you listening because... Oh, there's so much to interpret within that. And, and I hope that there's something that really um, resonates. And be curious about it if you're listening. Be curious about what's resonated. Be curious about what has caused discomfort. Or be curious about what has caused inspiration or a spark. Because um, that's exactly where you're being invited to sit and listen and connect in, tune inward. And you may want to do that with journaling. You may want to do that sitting in nature and reflecting. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for creating the space and time together. It's just been like for me. <laughs> oh, likewise for me too. Oh. Like just so, so grateful for your openness, for your vulnerability, for your courage, for your joy that just radiates, you know, and, and you've been through some things and you've come out the other side so strong, so resilient and so alive and now helping others to navigate that space too through this powerful medicine of floating. Um, so if people want to connect in with you, how can they do that? Um, probably the easiest is just through serenity, through the, yep. the float space itself. Um, send us an, an, an email, um, reception at float.clinic, um, our Facebook page, you know, message through there. Um, personally, like, yeah, if, if anyone wants to connect with me, totally find us through serenity. That's probably the easiest way. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to our special guest, Charles. Um, as I said before, I just want to invite you to really reflect on what's landed for you personally in this episode. Sit down with a journal and a pen. Yes, the pen you have and the paper you have is enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got like five journals and then I pick one up and I'm like, but where's my most recent one? And I can't remember. <laughs> it's 
it's funny how we sabotage. This is another form of self-sabotage. It's like, just sit down with the pen and paper. Um, And yeah, I just want to really invite you, everyone that's listening, to really simmer on what you've discovered. It's, It's really the application and integration of what you've learned that creates the transformational change, not the not the wall moment, you know? So build some repetition in and sit with yourself and really go on that journey. Um, and until next time, ka kite. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to our special guest. This is your chance to take a moment for yourself and really reflect on what's landed for you over this episode. Yep, right now. Pull over in the car, stop working, take a minute and write it down and turn that into one actionable goal so that you can integrate and apply what's come to light in this episode into your life. If you're picking up what we're putting down, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button to be the first to hear when the next squeeze of Audible Juice is live in a new app. If you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please slide into my DMs on Instagram. See you next time. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.